Amen. Well, if you'd like to turn to your Bibles, if you've got a Bible with you, or you can hear the Word of God just as well, to Isaiah chapter 32. This should have been preached last week, but there was inclement weather, and I got stuck in treacherous conditions, really, taking my mum home, and didn't get back until 6.30 in the evening, or 6 before 6.30. So this was going to be preached last week, but the Lord's reserved it for tonight, for you and for me. Isaiah 32, the title of the sermon tonight is The Promise of Restoration. The Promise of Restoration. I'm sure we would all agree we desperately need that in the church in our very, this very hour. We're going to hear the Word of God, Isaiah 32, the whole chapter. It's not a massively long chapter, only 20 verses. But notice from verse 15, it begins to talk about promises of restoration. Let's hear the word of God. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. Then the eyes of those who see will not be closed, and the ears of those who hear will give attention. The heart of the hasty will understand and know, and the tongue of the stammerers will, speak haste, will hasten to speak distinctly. The fool will no more be called noble, nor the scoundrel said to be honorable, for the fool speaks folly." And his heart is busy with iniquity. To practice ungodliness. To utter error concerning the Lord. To leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied. And to deprive the thirsty of drink. As for the scoundrel, his devices are evil. He plans wicked schemes to ruin the poor with lying words, even when the plea of the needy is right. But he who is noble plans noble things, and on noble things he stands. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness... I did... I did. So what verse we get up to? You're right. Thank you, Simon. I'm looking at that. I thought, I don't recognize this. Thank you for that. So we've got to verse 9. Thank you. I thought that would confuse me. I've got to say that. But listen to this. It's going to, it gets better and better, these passages. Verse 9. Rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice. You complacent daughters, give ear to my speech. In little more than a year, you will shudder, you complacent women. For the grape harvest fails. The fruit harvest will not come. Tremble, you women who are at ease. Shudder, you complacent ones. Strip and make yourselves bare. And tie sackcloth around your waist. Beat your breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine. 
for the soil of my people growing up in thorns and briars. Yes, for all the joyous houses in the exultant city. For the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted, the hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. Verse 15. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field, and the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings and in quiet resting places, and it will hail when the forest falls down, and the city will be utterly laid low. Happy are you who sow beside all waters, who let the feet of the ox and the donkey range free. That's Isaiah chapter 32 for us tonight. And uh, before we begin this sermon, in fact, I'll give you the headings right now, actually. We've got three headings for us, which are very simple. It begins, notice in 32.1, Behold, it says, a righteous king will reign in righteousness. And we wonder, who is that? Well, we'll come back to that in a moment. Our three headings are, number one, a righteous king. Number one, a righteous king. Heading number two is complacency. Complacency. We dare say that's a sin which God addresses. And number three is restoration. So three headings, a righteous king, complacency, and restoration. But before I get into the first heading, let me explain this for us. That we need to hold two doctrines together for us in the church always. Number one is the doctrine of the authority of Scripture. What rules over us in the church is the written Word of God. Not the Word of man, the Word of God. And we have to submit to the authority of Holy Scripture. And at the same time, when Holy Scripture comes, we are called not just to listen, but to listen to it with a desire to obey what's there. And we need a recovery of obedience of the Word of God in all of our lives. We need a recovery of hearing the Word, but with a desire, Lord, I want to obey your Word. And it's not easy for any of us to submit ourselves to the Word of God and then to say, Lord, I'm going to obey your Word. So we have to hold on to that doctrine always. And every time there is a true reviving work, it's a reviving work by the Holy Spirit to grip people saying, I want the Word of God and nothing else. And a desire to then obey the Word of God. So as a preacher, it's not the Word of man that we're here to hear tonight. We're here to hear the Word of God. But secondly, there's another fundamental doctrine that's very important for us. One is the authority of Scripture, which has to be preached. And as it's preached, it's preached through sinful men who are not Jesus Christ. But the doctrine is this. We need to look to the Lord 
for the right interpretation of Scripture as well. And so what should be preached is from the Word of God, but then also the right interpretation of, of Scripture, Holy Scripture. And what we're going to look at tonight is something of that in this message. And if we turn to Isaiah 32 and verse 1, it begins with this. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. Now, hang on a minute. Our first setting is a righteous king. Now, who is this righteous king? Well, as we hear about this, it's very tempting because in many parts of the book of Isaiah, we have revealed, pointing us to Jesus Christ, who is, is a righteous king. I'll give you an example in Isaiah chapter 33. It says, The Lord is our judge. The Lord is our Lord giver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Notice about this righteous king here. It says in verse 2, as a result of this righteous king ruling, it says, each person will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, the streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a dry, great rock in a weary land. Do you know that hymn? Rock of ages, cleft for me. That was written by a hymn writer who was actually a preacher called Augustus Montague Toplady. And the story goes that he was hiding from a great storm, I think somewhere in the Cheddar Gorge down in the southwest part of England, I think, somewhere down there. And he was hiding in a cave from this storm that was coming through. And what we're finding, that this righteous king will be like that for us. But the question is, who is this righteous king? And while it would be exegetically appealing to say it's Jesus Christ, in this case, as we go on, we find that it isn't Jesus Christ. It is literally a physical king that's going to be raised up at this time in the land of Judah uh, for the people of God who, who rules in righteousness. And don't we desire that God would raise up righteous rulers again in our nation? Isaiah has already lamented, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And we live in a time in the United Kingdom where we have, we have leaders over us that don't know their right hand from their left hand. They say it's okay to abort babies. No problem at all. God says something different. God says, thou shalt not kill. And so the, the sanctity of human life is very obvious. Our government leaders, they say to us, why don't we start to help people to die in the same way you'd help perhaps a dog, give it an injection. If it's, if it's getting ill, let it just get it over and done with. And we have people pushing today saying, we want to exert our own right, if we want to be killed off, to have assisted suicide. What does the Lord say? The Lord says, no, you shall not murder. We're here to preserve life. And so therefore, it would have been a wonderful thing, as we read in the Word of God, that God raised up at that time in Israel a, a righteous king to lead over them. But look at Isaiah 32 and verse 6 and 7. See the effect upon the people of God. It says, verse 5, The fool will no longer be called noble, and the scoundrel said to be honorable. And don't we have that today? We have fool, people who are foolish, and, and they're given honor. He said, well, well, give me an example. I'll give you one example. 
we have our universities filled with lecturers from the north of the United Kingdom to the south and the east and the west who are greatly honoured and in many ways I think they should be honoured many of them for the jobs they do however there's a problem evolution is rife in our institutions today which denies the existence of God and yet God says in Psalm 14 and verse 1 the fool says in his heart there is no God so therefore, foolishness is allowed to run rampage as if, and denying the existence not just of a God, but of this one true and living God. And the Bible says it's foolishness. Therefore, we have foolishness in the corridors of power all through our nation. It's called the spirit of antichrist. And it exists all over the place. And it's, we've become so used to it that we've become very tolerant to it. But the Bible does not support this. And so here it says, as a result of this righteous leader, it says the fool will no longer be called noble, nor the scoundrel said to be honorable. And it says in verse 6 of these fools that were reigning in the time of this righteous king, it says the fool speaks folly. Well, what else do we expect? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. A fool will speak what? They'll speak foolishness. It says... The fool will no longer be called noble. In verse 6, the fool speaks folly and his heart is busy with iniquity to practice ungodless, ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord. Notice that. The land was full of people speaking error concerning the Lord. So what we learn in Isaiah's day is not a new problem. We have it in our own day, people speaking error concerning the Lord why because man is sinful and if man doesn't turn to Christ they will face eternal judgment and be punished for all eternity is that the God that we we know of yes it is we know God's a God of love but we have been speaking to people this week and they've been telling me how uh, whether it be a doctor's surgery uh, people are so frustrated they'll start swearing at doctors these are, these are very polite British people. These are good British people. Well, are they good? The Bible says there's none good. No, not one. I've been hearing about people working in different shops and saying people are so rude. They're so abusive. They're so unthankful. And we think, well, where does that come from? Well, if you read 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says there'll be difficult times in the last days, and that's how people will be. British people are not good. They may think they're good, but there's none good, not one. And unless people turn from their sin and flee to Jesus Christ, they will face an eternity in a place called hell, which Jesus says is outer darkness where the worm does not die. What a fearful thing it is to fall into the hands of a living God. And tonight... This chapel may not be full of thousands of people, but we are still in the presence of the most holy God. And so it goes on. Look at verse 8. There's encouragement for us. Though there was uh, craftiness and sinfulness. Look at verse 8, though. It says, in this time of this righteous king, he who is noble plans noble things, and on noble things he stands. So that's our first heading. It's not referring to Jesus Christ. It's referring to a righteous leader uh, who, is, who rules in righteousness. And we want righteous 
uh, leaders in our own nation, and we should pray for that. And I'll pray for that at the end of the uh, sermon, Lord willing. But let's move to our second heading of further sin in the time of this, uh, this ruler uh, in Judah and Israel. And the second sin that God now deals with is a sin called complacency. A sin called complacency. And sadly, when things go well uh, and trials disappear, there's always the perpetual tendency towards complacency. Uh, when we trust in riches, we're trusting in the wrong place. When we trust in man, we're trusting in the wrong place. When all may seem quiet, you know, there's a a 17th century commentator called John Trapp. And he said this, Satan is most active when things are most quiet. Satan is always at work. And so this sin of complacency is where you think, yeah, well, everything's fine. And uh, we want to ask, does complacency describe people in the United Kingdom today? I think it does. Let's look a bit further in verse 9. It says, Rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice. You complacent daughters, give ear to my speech. And this is not an invitation to, to come to the gospel. It's an invitation to hear about the sin that they were living in, which was complacency. It says, In a little more than a year, you will shudder, you complacent women. For the grape harvest fails, the fruit harvest will not come. Tremble, you women who are at ease. Now, wouldn't we think, after all the COVID trials, wouldn't we have thought, people dying, I've had friends who've died. You may have had friends who've died. There's been funerals, unexpected funerals. You would think, wouldn't it, people would be humbled and they'd be saying, there must be a God, I must turn to God. But generally speaking, we don't seem to be finding that. People are carrying on in their complacency. In fact, even becoming more rude. A year ago, they were clapping people working for the NHS. And now I'm hearing people uh, swearing at doctors in frustration. Why? There's none good, no, not one. And God is dealing with this terrible sin of complacency and says, tremble, you women who are at ease. Ease can be a very dangerous place to be. Are you at ease tonight? If it's if you're a Christian and you're going through a season without trials, well, praise God for that. But just make sure that you've not fallen into the sin of complacency, relying upon yourself, relying upon anything except God himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If there's one thing that can never be shaken, it's the Word of God. These promises can never be shaken. They existed before you and I were born. And they'll exist after you and I die. God's word will never be shaken. And if people do not come and bow before God through Jesus Christ, this very word will judge them. Therefore, we must all tremble at that thought. It's not as if we can, as Christians, say, well, oh, I'm thankful this is not for me. It's for all of us. And remember in chapter 33, verse 1, this whole story from Isaiah began in chapter 33 verse 1 through to 32 and how did it begin Isaiah began to preach and said this woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses 
and trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. If we go to shopping centres today, they're packed out. Today is known as the Christian Sabbath. The Lord tells us that on six days you shall, save, uh, you shall labor and on the seventh day you will rest. What's more, we'll have shopping centers all across our country today that will have some semblance of Christianity. Uh, you may have various views about Christmas trees and things, but there may be you know, different things referring to Christianity. But does that save people? Never. They're at the shopping centers to fill up themselves with more and more and more goods most of which they don't even need, and never give a thought for God whatsoever. It's called the sin of complacency. And Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 8 says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And so therefore I urge us to think very seriously tonight as we come to our third and last heading, which is restoration, that God would open up our eyes to see the desperate plight of the nation that we're living in called England. There are people going to hell with their eyes wide open everywhere, there may be people who even profess Christianity, but how is their spiritual condition today? Are they genuinely born again? Are they seeking first the kingdom of God? Our third and last heading tonight is restoration. Though we've gone down to the valley, we're thankful, and thank for pointing out for us for the reading tonight, verse 15. In verse 15, it begins with our third and last heading, restoration. It says, until... And most of this chapter is giving over to explain the sins of the people in Isaiah's day. But notice the word says here, until, that there is a promise that's laid up for the people of God. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Now, in its own day, in Isaiah's day, this time period was about 700 years before Jesus Christ came. Imagine that. How's your patience levels tonight? Well, you may say, well, I struggle a little bit on Tuesdays and Wednesdays for patience, but how about 700 years? From Isaiah preaching this, it's going to be 700 years until Jesus comes. Now, in between time, there's going to be some temporary restorations, and this probably may be referring to the return from exile from Babylon, which is still many years hence. But nonetheless, we have a promise both then and now of restoration. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. What is the purpose of that restoration? Is, is that restoration so that people could be happier? Well, no. People thought they were happy in their complacent material position in Isaiah's day. 
The point is not personally about our happiness per se. It's about the glory of God. God's name was being trampled down by people who even claimed to know God in Isaiah's day. And so the whole purpose of this outpouring of the Spirit of God is so that God's name would be honored, that God would be exalted in the midst of the nation. And that's exactly what we are looking for today in our own nation if God would be merciful to us. When the Spirit is poured out, there's a commentator, his name is Alan Harmon. He has a commentary about that thick on the book of Isaiah. He says this, that this whole teaching of the Spirit being poured out is teaching us that there will be a reversal of existing conditions. Just think about that for a moment. When the Spirit is poured out, there will be a reversal of existing conditions. Just let your imagination wander for a moment about where you might think there needs to be a reversal of existing conditions in our own nation. Well, in the church, there needs to be a reversal of church attendance. There needs to be a reversal in the church of honoring the Lord's day for the Lord. Would you agree with that? Among Christians, there needs to be a reversal of solid doctrine to be brought forth. There needs to be a reversal of preaching. And what's the byproduct when the Spirit is poured out upon the people of God? In what way are we looking to the Lord for a reversal of existing conditions? We're looking to the Lord that the Lord would, would shatter and break the strongholds of evolution, of atheism, of people walking around in their arrogance. You've got Jesus, it's just a crutch to you, brother. Praise God he is, because on the day of judgment we will need that crutch. We're not coming before God on the day of judgment in our own strength. We can only come before God on the day of judgment and saying this to Almighty God. Almighty God, nothing in my hand I bring, but simply to your cross I cling. Are you clinging to the cross tonight? That's our only place of refuge for, uh, from the storm of judgment. And if it is your refuge, blessed be God for it, because God will not disappoint us. He will never disown his true people of God. He'll, he'll confess them before his Father. Look at the effect of this progression, this restoration, verse 17. 32 and verse 17, when the Spirit's poured out. The effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. There'll be a restoration of peace and quietness among the people of God. And don't we, don't we need that? There can be so much strife, so much things that happen. But when the Spirit's poured out, problems that have been problems for years become healed this is why we're crying out to the Lord. Look at Israel. This was and Judah going on for years after year after year. When the Spirit is poured out, things are put right. Now, we're not saying here, like some people teach today, that the church is to be going out and changing the culture. I've never read that in my Bible yet. Have you? We're not to be going out changing the culture. But when the Spirit is poured out, 
a byproduct is the culture begins to get changed because there's salt and light everywhere. There's salt and light, and salt begins to stem the corruption of this sinful world. Where there's darkness, the light comes. Well, our time has run out, though I feel I've only just begun to preach. But I want to whet our appetite with these promises of restoration tonight. And let us finish our hope tonight by focusing upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He gives us the ground for hope through our life. Um, the, the resurrection of Christ is the ultimate example of the turning point of restoration. Would you agree? You know, he was dead. He was taken down from the cross. And I think Mark's gospel says a corpse was handed over to the disciples. What's a corpse? It's stiff. It's lifeless. There's no breathing. There's no hope. And this stiff, lifeless corpse of the body of Jesus was laid in a tomb in Jerusalem. But on the third day, the power of God came down and raised Jesus from the dead. Never to die again. He lives. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, we can face today. Listen to what John Calvin says. We come to a close. John Calvin says this. He says, The resurrection of Christ is the most important article of our faith. So we're not going to be moved. If, if this chapel had 500 people, our faith is not going to be in 500 people, ever. We're not looking to be on the majority side. Our faith is in the resurrection of Jesus. Is that where your faith is? Then you're going to have abundant hope. John Calvin goes on a bit further. He says, The resurrection of Christ is the most important article of our faith. He writes further, In the resurrection of Christ, we have a sure pledge of our own resurrection. Are you looking forward to a new body? That's part of the promise of the gospel. John Calvin says further, listen to this. He was expounding on Isaiah. John Calvin says, The oppressed church shall stand erect, being renewed and multiplied from age to age by various resurrections. We were singing tonight a hymn by Martin Luther. Prior to the Reformation in Germany, Saxony, which then spread, Europe was filled with darkness. Just like today, Europe is filled with darkness. England is filled with darkness. And what's worse, most Christians don't even acknowledge it and realize it or talk about it. But we're looking to God, just as sure as out of that empty tomb came the risen Jesus. We're saying, Lord, would you resurrect your church again back to her original condition? And John Calvin, again, as we close tonight, talking about uh, Isaiah, John Calvin said this, we ought always to entertain favorable hopes of the restoration of the church, though she shall be plunged under thick darkness and in the grave. So the resurrection of Jesus gives us great hope through our 